This is Bloomberg Business Week. I'm Carol Masser. And I'm Jason Kelly. We're here every day bringing you the latest news from the world of business and finance. Plus technology, politics, economics, all harnessing the power of Bloomberg Business Week reporters and editors. Not to mention our 2,700 journalists and analysts in more than 120 countries. You can download Bloomberg Business Week on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Bloomberg.com. You can also listen to our radio show weekdays at 2 p.m. Eastern, only on Bloomberg Radio. So this story remains our most read on the Bloomberg in the past eight hours. It's a second day story that unfolded yesterday afternoon. News of the massive admissions bribery case that spans several states and well-known individuals on both the East and West coasts. Let's dig into it with Janet Paskin, diversity and sustainability reporter at Bloomberg News, along with our Joel Weber. He's editor of Bloomberg Businessweek magazine, both of them in our Bloomberg Interactive Broker Studio in New York. Safe to say our community, our listeners, our readers have really been uh, obsessed, as well as the general public, about this story. Janet, here we are 24 hours since it really kind of came out, and we got to go through some of those legal documents. Uh, We're getting more into the specifics of exactly what happened. That's right. And I think what you're seeing is you're seeing outrage at so many different points of the story. There's what feels like a fundamental unfairness, right, about what these particular parents did and what that confirms about what we already think of as a kind of unfair or at least arbitrary and very opaque system. Unfair, outrage, unhinged. I mean, I think we've just really kind of scratched the surface of like some of the emotional responses that people are going to have over this. And it's going to linger. Janet, when you think about sort of like what the root of that outrage ultimately is, what do you think it is? I have to be honest. I think the outrage is an outgrowth of the craziness about these elite college degrees to begin with. I think these elite college educations have become such a status symbol and, you know, they're rare and they're expensive and they are competitive. And so people are willing to go to great lengths obviously, usually not illegal ones, to try to get their kids in. This is all driven by parents. These aren't kids. Kids typically aren't driving this sort of educational arms race. Or paying bribes. Correct. <laughs> that, that's right. I, I mean, to me, when I think about the different ingredients that sort of got us to here now, it's sort of like, okay, we're going to make this hyper-competitive process the number of common applications has just skyrocketed the volume of kids trying to get into these schools. It, we know it, the, the uh, process lasts for months on end. Oh, and then you're going to get to school and it's going to cost you maybe a couple hundred thousand dollars of student debt. And then you're going to leave and maybe not get a job that pays for said student debt. And I think you get this toxic stew that really is an indictment of higher education as a whole. And I think what's fascinating, and we kind of got into this yesterday, is that we all understand, right, for years, for decades, you've had alumni of schools making donations. And anybody who's worked in, you know, a school alumni office or donor office um, has often understood, there's not necessarily a quid pro quo, but 
it's not uncommon for the offspring of a donor or an alumnus for their, you know, to go to that school as well. I think what's interesting, and I've looked at some of our reporting, how this was such a brazen scheme where you had different people taking tests, you know, the entry tests or scores being adjusted or faces being put on other people playing sports and great sports profile. I mean, this is, right, it's taken this to a whole other illegal level. We actually had this amazing piece of art that's in this issue that's going to be a little water polo player and your your kid's face here for x yeah so janet i want to ask you because this story feels even bigger than this story if that makes sense i mean you lead all of our uh, diversity and sustainability coverage and i do wonder when you put it into the mosaic of the last couple years the political mosaic the corporate mosaic how does this fit in well, I think after the outrage, I think there was just a ton of, there was actually some legitimate confusion, right? Why would these people who are super wealthy to start with talk about kids on third base? These kids had every advantage. Right. Did they have to nail a seat at Wake Forest to the point that... Or USC. Or, you, or San Diego, <laughs> South, you know, yeah, I mean, this, you know, all of which are good schools, but like, they couldn't have gone to maybe they could have gotten in at Berkeley or Oregon or like some other totally acceptable university. As we know, and I think this is what you're talking about, Jason, there's no social mobility in America anymore. If you are born poor, you are likely to stay that way. And if you are born rich, you are likely to well, stay that way too. We talked about this yesterday, you and I, I think off air, about just talking about our political climate, global political climate, certainly here in the United States. Um, kind of the pushback against the establishment and the pushback against those who are wealthy, who kind of seem to be able to have access, whether it's in the corporate world, whether it's in the educational world, you name it, that makes you kind of understand some of the political outcomes that we've had. And there was this element of this story, too, that people who have this privilege feel, A, that they can throw money at any problem, and B, that the rules don't apply to them. And that feels, it gets to this sort of fundamental unfairness that you talked about at the top. And hence how you end up with a Trump anti-elitism momentum. And also this, Janet, I think one of the things that you hit on there is this word of privilege, right? Of like, is this really what America was about? That you can buy your way into a a college with with a check to the right person? Well, Yes and no. I think that people have been buying their way into college for a long time. And I'm not talking about the back door, the institutional advancement, the checks to institutions. Carol, when you talk about legacy or alumni kids and things like that, the reason that alumni, I mean, alumni kids sometimes get a little thumb on the scale, but they're already, those are kids who are starting on third base too, right? I mean, you had the Harvard president not that long ago talking about how legacy kids, the kids of Harvard alum, a lot of times they're extremely competitive candidates because their parents typically have means. Their parents had the advantages of a Harvard education. Right. And we're just going to start seeing kids get accepted letters, right? Like this is the fervor for this is going to just only increase. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Joel Weber, editor of Bloomberg Businessweek, Janet Paskin. She leads all of our diversity and sustainability coverage here at Bloomberg. This is Bloomberg Business Week with Carol Masser and Jason Kelly 
on Bloomberg Radio. I've been listening to President Trump, uh, a playback at the White House, and of course, uh, talking about some various uh, issues. But the big headline is uh, the president saying that the FAA will indeed ground the 737 MAX 8 and MAX 9 planes. Of course, this is coming three days in after several countries uh, and regions around the world have banned that plane. I do want to point out that I've just been looking at shares of Boeing, which were pretty much unchanged today, even rallying earlier in the session. They are now down another two and a half percent after losing about 11, 12 percent, Jason, over the past two days. We'll continue to monitor uh, the president's comments. But uh, that's certainly the headline. People have been pushing yes. for the FAA to do something. Uh, and indeed, they're now grounding those 737 MAX 8 and MAX 9 planes, which were, again, the planes, of course, in those two recent crashes. All right, let's get more on this story. Justin Bachman is aerospace reporter for Bloomberg. He joins us from Dallas on this latest news. So Justin, uh, probably not unexpected, but later, maybe than many expected. What do you make of this announcement from the president? Well, I think it was probably a matter of time after the um, authorities in Canada decided today that they were going to ground the aircraft type. Um, it really put the FAA in an, an untenable situation as being the only major um, aviation authority in the world that, that was standing behind the safety of the plane. And, and they want to stress that there's no evidence that uh, the plane is unsafe, but I think you know the world has decided that out of an abundance of caution that this was the way to go, and I think the FAA just had to follow that. So, talk to us about kind of what happens next here, right? They found the black box, they found the recordings. I'm assuming that is in the hands of the FAA at this point, or or am I wrong? Give me an, an idea of kind of how this might play out here. Yeah, it's it's kind of an interesting situation because just today Ethiopia said they were going to send those uh, boxes to Germany for analysis, and then the German authorities said we don't we don't want that, uh, we don't have the right equipment, et cetera. So now I think there's a debate about uh, where do those go? Are those going to end up in the UK or France or the United States? Um, but the bottom line is somebody has to, to you know, analyze the data on those and, and try to get an indication of what was happening. So, Justin, you heard Carol describe, and I'm sure you've been watching it yourself, the chairs of Boeing falling on that announcement. Help us understand how this ripples through not only Boeing, but through the rest of the aerospace and candidly, the airline industry. You obviously had consumers taking to Twitter and other social media, asking questions of airlines. Are you still flying these planes? Am I going to be flying uh, on one of these planes on an upcoming trip? What happens given that this was and is a very popular and widely used plane? Yeah, it's, you know, the impact is going to be a little bit limited because this is a, we're talking about the Max 8 and the Max 9, which are the two new ones. Um, This does not affect the bulk of, you know, airline fleets. We're talking about 67 airplanes in the U.S. right now. Um, So it'll be limited. For example, at Southwest, they fly more than 500 of the 737-700, which is the older plane. Um, And I think that it's going to be completely manageable. But for airlines, they were probably already looking at the fact that customers were were asking questions and were were somewhat nervous. So in a way, this this might help them on the the customer service aspect. Um, But the actual operational impact should be pretty pretty limited. And it feels like the worst impact of this, it, at least for Boeing, may be going forward, right? I mean, it, depending on how long this grounding uh, lasts, you do have a lot of forward orders for this plane. This was a very, very popular plane for airlines as they looked at future plans. Right. Yeah. This 
this is about a third of revenues at Boeing. It's it's you know it's absolutely critical to the company. Um, the 737 just just has to succeed for Boeing to succeed. Um, and I think that that you know what you mentioned as far as forward deliveries is is really the crux of it because anybody that's a customer right now is going to say, well, let's hold off, wait. Let's see what what the situation is, and I think I think the financial impact at Boeing is just going to be everything on the 737 line slows down now, you know, pending the outcome of this investigation, and, and that's what's really has to happen. You know, uh, we talked with our George Ferguson of Bloomberg Intelligence, who also follows, like you, uh, the aerospace um, space, and you know, we talked to him a little bit about you know what needs to happen, and he mentions you know the 737. This plane's been around for a while, but the the design has changed. They move the engine forward, which changes the center of gravity on the on the plane. And you know, his thinking was that they're going to have to because he said they're going to need to do a, a clean sheet on this on this plane. So they need a brand new design to kind of redesign the new dynamics and physics of this plane. I mean, is that what it might come down to? Well, I think that's probably the worst case scenario for Boeing if it did yeah. come down to that because you can't just you know, redesign an airplane overnight. And, and that would be potentially a multi-year process. Um, you know, the 737 MAX is is definitely right in the middle of production. They're really not even making the older ones anymore. Um, if you're a 737 customer, you're, you're getting the MAX now. Um, so I think, you know, as far as, you know, George's thought on, on a complete redesign, yes, that could happen. But if it does, I think that's probably the worst case scenario for Boeing. They're right now talking about software fixes. So it's right. really a case right now of, can this plane be, you know, the customers assured that this plane is safe to fly? Well, and to be fair, I mean, listen, any crash, one crash is one too many. Um, and certainly when we're talking about the loss of life, but the 737 has been flying for months now, right? Lots of flights right. have been going on without a problem. Right, yeah. The 737 MAX has been in service well over a year uh, in the U.S. and other places. So, And, and that was the point that, that uh, Southwest pilots and United pilots have raised, is that there is an enormous amount of data on how this airplane works, uh, and that that's why they feel it's safe. So, you know, somewhere in the middle of that lies the truth, and I think what really needs to happen is, is to get some answers on what happened in the Ethiopian crash. Justin Bachman, aerospace reporter for Bloomberg, joining us on the phone from Dallas. We know it is an incredibly busy time for you. We really appreciate you spending a few minutes. Just recapping the headlines, President Trump announcing just a few minutes ago at the White House that the U.S. will be grounding Boeing 737 MAX 8 and 9 planes. That, of course, is following a decision earlier today by Canadian authorities do the same. Many other countries around the world, starting with China, uh, I believe, have been making this decision throughout the week. This is Bloomberg Business Week with Carol Masser and Jason Kelly on Bloomberg Radio. Let's move over to a discussion on the markets. And of course, all of this impacts the markets and has to be on the mind of many investors, including Lamar Villery. He is portfolio manager for the firm that bears his name, Villery Funds, $2.1 billion managed down in New Orleans, the Big Easy, but he has made his way to New York City to visit with us. Lamar, great to see you. Thanks thanks for having me. All right. So I want to talk about a couple names in a minute, but 
What do you make of this market right now? Because we're very much in the green this week after sort of a down week last week. Sure. It's, uh, we're, we're, we're nearly back to where we were before the whole uh, November, December meltdown. Um, so, you know, if, if we're, we're, it seems like we're almost right back where we started and none of it ever happened. Um, the, the trade fears seem to be uh, generally uh, silenced and the, or at least quieted. And the, uh, the Fed has, uh, has slowed its uh, rate hikes. So things appear to be on the, on the right path. All right, so let's talk about though, because you've got to you know make decisions about your fund. Uh, you've got two point one billion in assets under management overall, and I'm curious about some of the names that that you have found interesting. Cypress Semiconductor, and I think we're all focusing once again on the semi space because of the deal this week. Stocks up uh, almost twenty percent uh, this year. It's got a nice little dividend as well. Tell me about Cypress, what it is that you find appealing. Sure. So, you know, with, with Cypress, one of the things we really like about it is that, you know, it's a play on the whole Internet of Things, uh, which is a very hot space. It's a play on uh, autonomous vehicles and just in, in general, the increasing amount of technology in vehicles. So you look at specifically, obviously, tes- Tesla's on the, the, the far end of it, but basically it's a driving computer. And um, you know, the, but the legacy cars are, are kind of headed in that direction. So instead of $300 worth of semiconductor content in a car, we're seeing, um, you know, things are headed more towards there being about $1,000. So there's a great opportunity for them and they're a market leader. And, you know, it's, it's still reasonably priced, uh, even though it's had the nice run up today. And as you mentioned, it's actually got about a 3% dividend yield. So you're, you're paid to hold it, uh, yeah. which we find pretty attractive. All right. So banking but maybe not one of the banks that people think about. First Hawaiian is a holding of yours. What do you think? Yeah, so, you know, as, as you all know, we're... It's just because you want to go visit it, right? Exactly. <laughs> yeah, we, we pride ourselves on our uh, diligence, our, our strict Being diligence. on the ground, Absolutely. talking boots fundamentals. On, <laughs> boots on the ground are critical. No, um, so First Hawaiian, uh, you know, rather than... The nice thing about investing in small caps, as we do at Villery, is, is instead of just buying a large bank, which is a basket of general markets and... Uh, you know, I, I challenge anyone to truly understand some of these mega banks and the risk exposures yeah. that you're getting. We're able to really focus on specific uh, areas. And, and one of the areas that we think is really interesting for investment is First Hawaiian. Uh, one of the reasons I highlight it here is, you know, this was a, subs- a subsidiary of the French bank, uh, BNP. Right. Ju- BNP just finished uh, selling all of its shares, and that was kind of an overhang on the stock. And it was um, you know, it, it hurt liquidity, and it, it, it was just sort of a, a something that people viewed as a risk factor. Also, a nice dividend, four percent. Exactly, a four percent dividend, um, and that dividend has been growing uh, at a nice clip, actually, uh, nearly ten percent a year. So, uh, this is another one that's uh, you know, it, it is a growth stock. It's the top bank in Hawaii, uh, but also pays you while you sit there and wait. Lamar Villery, you are the portfolio manager at Villery Funds down there in New Orleans, still cleaning up after Mardi Gras. We're happy you made your way <laughs> up to New Brought York City. Brought us no City. beads. Yeah, sorry. And next time. Next time. I'm driving in my car. I turn on the radio. How about you let me drive? Oh, no. No, no, no. Who's going to drive you home? Honey, please. I'll do the driving. Drive on. Excuse me. I want to drive. Just drive, baby. It's the question that drives us. This is the drive to the close. That punk music will drive us till the dawn. On Bloomberg Radio. And it is time for the drive to the close. About 17 minutes left. 
in this U.S. trading day. Hillary Kramer, President and Chief Investment Officer over at ANG Capital Research, based here just a few blocks away in New York City, joining us in our Bloomberg Interactive Brokers studio. Hillary, great to see you. Thanks Thank for you. stopping by. Uh, I want to start on Boeing. You know, you just mm-hmm. heard Charlie Pellet talk about how that stock is trading today, obviously moving uh, further downward on the news from the U.S. government, directly from President Trump, we should say, uh, that the FAA is, in fact, grounding those specific Boeing jets. What do you make of this as an investor? Uh, Boeing is a great investment opportunity. It's truly an opportunity right here. Anyone who's followed Boeing for as many decades as I have, and I actually, in 1997, bought a Boeing business jet at the Paris Air Show. So I'm very familiar with the company itself. I spent a lot of time in Seattle before they moved to Chicago. Mm. And I can say this is a chance to actually enter in and get into Boeing. Clearly, if there is any kind of trouble with this uh, 737 MAX, it will be solved. Uh, I'm assuming in an amateur kind of way that it had more to do with training or lack of the right training of a new plane. and, um, and that will be handled. But this might also be indicative of what's happening with every company all over the world, which is everything's about cost cutting. Everything's about Who's going automated. Who's that, though, when it comes to training? Oh, that would be Boeing because Boeing guarantees a certain number of training slots and provides training with every plane that they sell. And these Boeings are so amazing and so much better than Airbuses. I don't care what anyone thinks. Boeing is the best. You know, any pilot that you talk to will tell you an Airbus is like trying well, to turn on a, it's a, interesting a computer that you, laptop. Well, and that you say that is we have to remember that in terms of this marketplace, it's either Boeing or Airbus when it comes to the super jets. I mean, China's trying to make inroads, right? But for the most part, you're either buying a Boeing jet or an Airbus jet. The big airlines, it is. It's Boeing, um, you know, or it's an Airbus. And a Boeing is a great plane. The 737 is the workhorse. It'll be fine. Anyone who goes in here at like the 300, in the 370s, right now it's $373. The high has been 446 even waiting a bit for it to come off more, but indicative of how strong a company it is, look, the stock isn't down 25%. You know, the stock has fallen about 12 to 13%. Right, right. Will come it back. even rallied have, a little bit today before kind of evening off. Right, exactly. And you have great management there with Dennis Muhlenberg. You're talking about being in defense, Boeing with their unmanned aerial vehicle, um, unmanned aerial vehicles. That's the big business, our drones, and there's so much more to Boeing. And it's, it's, a great company and one that investors should take the opportunity to invest in. All right. We always love talking names. So let's talk some more names because one of the uh, positions you have, I should say more broadly, is sort of understanding a lot of the demographic shifts uh, that are going on right now, specifically around millennials and baby boomers. So how do you use that lens to pick a stock? Well, that's really macro investing. And so uh, even though we do a lot of fundamental analysis, we really look at the macro first and try to figure out, you know, what are the big trends? And that's how we ended up in Calavo, CVGW, avocado grower, uh, excellent dividend yield, been around a long time. Obviously, it's a commodity avocado, so it's going to be a little bit volatile. Uh, But we go and we we do our work and we go out on the field and figure those things out. And that's where, you know, we we originally came up with companies like Ulta. 
But uh, we're also looking... Well, and Ulta, though, is an interesting one. We've talked about that a lot over uh, the past few months because you often see it uh, on the, you know, either biggest decliner or biggest gainer in the S&P 500. A lot of volatility in this puppy. Right, right. That's a high beta stock. Yeah. Uh, but ultimately, um, they they have the consumers. They still have the growth. Um, they, they still have the... the the market share, um, and it's a niche that really makes a lot of sense. So even though it's brick and mortar, you know, they figured out that niche, which, which is hair care. It's like Sephora, but for hair. I do like just going back to uh, Calavo just for a second. I'm glad I'm someone is making money yeah. off of my avocado obsession. My one-year-old obsessed well, with avocados. Well, yeah. So think about this. You go to Costco, <laughs> and what do you see? Avocados, avocados. Ten years ago, five years ago, you didn't have avocados featured in Costco. That's right. And so now you have, I mean, it's a baby boomer and millennial stock and Generation X and Generation uh, Y, Z, everyone, because... It, ha- you know, health obviously matters and it's, you know, and that's, that's why we just had a McDonald's go out of business on Madison Avenue on our corner. Yeah. We had a McDonald's go out of business two years ago on Second Avenue. You never used to see that. But the reason is that, you know, that tastes and trends do matter and they matter in investing and they eventually reflect on a company. What stock. happens with a name like this, Calavo? Calavo? Calavo, Calavo or CVGW. Me. Right. So what happens? It's a, it's a relatively small player, $1.5 billion uh, market cap here. Do you ultimately see this as bought up by one of the bigger food companies? I mean, it's like a no-brainer, right? They, Absolutely. You think some of the big food companies who are having trouble with all their packaged, processed, stay-on-the-shelf-for-month foods. I mean, here's... You, you could see Dole coming in yeah. here. You could even see some of the, some of the players if they want to, like General Mills, actually, that's one of their big problems is trying to get so they're exactly. they're just so aggressive trying to get into health food, natural organics. You could see them stepping in here and saying, you know, we're going to be in the, the fresh food arena. But that's why I'm always looking. That's why we follow diabetes so carefully. You know, we think Novo yeah. Nordisk, NVO is a company uh, for the very long term, even with pressure on uh, therapeutics and medications by the insurance companies. Um, that's and, you get why, it, and you pick up a nice dividend with that yeah, one. That's a great dividend. Another one is Chubb. So few people want to invest in insurance because they don't really get it or understand it. It's complex insurance. Liabilities are, you know, assets. Assets are liabilities, the portfolios. But Chubb, CB, it's the Rolls Royce. It's royalty of insurance, a 2.2% dividend yield. Uh, What makes it the royalty of insurance? Uh, Their portfolio. Their portfolio is rock solid. They never never lose their footing. They're not going, you know, they're, they're not losing sight of their main business, which is to try to keep, um, you know, premiums not accelerating beyond what they can pay out. Like just, you know, they're the opposite of GE's long-term care portfolio, you know, which what, just put aside $8 billion as a reserve uh, and Chubb will never get themselves in that situation. How do they do that though? Is it the mix of the portfolio? It's diversified or how do they do it? Or is it just in terms of who they insure, they're very selective? Well, Everyone knows if, if you want to go to a company that has the best insurance, you go to a Chubb company. So therefore, it's about who they are choosing, who they are insuring, and what areas they're going into. Although they're in property and casualty, it's not just healthcare, it's not just long-term care, life insurance. But they've always uh, chosen well, and from an actuarial standpoint, they know what they're doing, clearly. Hillary Kramer, so nice to have you here in studio, President and Chief Investment Officer at AAG Capital Research, joining us in our Bloomberg Interactive Brokers Studio. Thanks for listening to Bloomberg Business Week. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Bloomberg.com. You can also listen to our radio show every weekday at 2 p.m. Eastern, only on Bloomberg Radio.